all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Rob Donovic. Rob, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. And uh, Rob Donovic is a member of the uh, Michigan Army National Guard, and we're going to talk about some of his recent deployments and experiences. But let's talk about who Rob is uh, before that. I know you're a Livonia City Councilman. Uh, you are a private fixed-wing pilot, yeah. which you might even be more proud of, and uh, a reserve police officer, son of immigrants from Albania who have a family restaurant in Livonia, Michigan called Marcos Cozy Diner. But tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, first, Jim, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys do a lot in the community, and I was excited to be a guest on your show today. Uh, my family immigrated to America in the 1980s. And uh, dad came here from Albania and wanted to make a better life for his kids. Had us a few years later. We uh, were living here in the Livonia area. Went to Livonia Public Schools. Grew up here. Grew up around the veteran community. I always thought joining the military would be uh, super interesting. And the fact of what little boy doesn't want to shoot guns and blow stuff up as a, as a young guy. And uh, just having the impact of being around veterans. Uh, mostly your, your Vietnam era, your early desert storm era veterans and they talk about their experiences in the military and I was like wow I just I really want to serve especially with my family coming to America with nothing and now I have this opportunity I get this good education I get to live a really nice lifestyle in the metropolitan area how can I give back and and coupled again with just being a little boy and wanted to you know get paid to shoot guns and then wanted to give back to my country ultimately I found the Army National Guard here in Michigan and uh, I'm in my fifth year now of a six-year contract. And when you uh, went in, did, did you have any preconceived notions about what you were gonna, what your job specialty was gonna be, or where they might send you? Oh yeah, I mean, ultimately, I knew that you know, being in the in the current uh, war on terror campaign, 
I, I hoped and I prayed actually that I would deploy. I mean, that was the whole purpose of me joining the military was to serve my country and to to be a part of, of this group, this this family of, of soldiers that have left their families to, to defend ours here at home. What an honor to, to do that. And then that dream really does come true. And, and I get the call saying, hey, we're, we're going to the Middle East. So every soldier that serves, that's that's their ultimate goal is to be able to defend their country and use all the training and, and Everything you do from the time you go to basic training, prior to basic training, getting ready for basic training, then basic training, then you get your unit and your training, you're spending all these hours sleeping outside and you do this constant training rotation over and over and over again and you're hoping that one day you get that call and my unit got that call uh, like so many thousands of soldiers before. You know, when we talk to uh, folks who join the military and maybe don't come from a military family, we would always ask about mom and dad. How did mom and dad uh, think about this uh, adventure by their son? <laughs> Naturally, you know, they're not excited. I mean, my dad was like, wow, my, my boy wants to join the military and, and, you know, defend this this principle behind why I came here. And that really ultimately, looking back on, on my the reasons why I joined, and I, I really understand at that point. But now, uh, being on, on city council, I get to talk to so many different people from different walks of life. And then my own personal just experiences throughout life. I was able to serve with people and be one of those people that serve that are helping defend those freedoms, that this whole idea behind America and to be able to part, uh, be a small part of that. And, and it really puts things in perspective. I mean, how many immigrants come from different countries and they want to come to America for this better life? They don't necessarily want to be rich, right? I mean, just live a life with opportunity and, and the freedoms that we enjoy that sometimes we take for granted because we've never known anything differently. And uh, being over there in the Middle East, you see how people live and you really say, you know, man, I'm happy to be American because we really do have an amazing life. Um, and that doesn't say that we have things we need to work on, of course. Naturally, everybody does and every country does. But to be a part of that and, and see the honor and the, the, the uh, how happy my family were, my parents, you know, of course, they're sad. But at the same time, like, wow, like that's my son. Like any parent is happy of their kid when they're when they're doing something. Well, they're always happier too when you get home, and all, yeah, all the yeah. pieces are still uh, put together. <laughs> yeah, what was yeah. uh, what was your MOS uh, here? And I should say, you, you, as you did, you're currently serving. Mm-hmm. Um, got another year on the contract, but mm-hmm. uh, what, what's your uh, MOS? So I'm interesting. I'm an 11 Bravo infantryman. That's what I joined, and you know, infantry. You know, they always say God made the sky blue because He loves the infantry. I mean, that's our color, and and we love the infantry. We're the ground pounders, and yada 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 so there's a lot of always you know infighting amongst the different MOSs there's some 200 different MOSs but then I had the opportunity to uh, join an aviation unit a Chinook CH-47 Chinook helicopter unit uh, based out of Selfridge Air Base and uh, what a cool experience to get to flying around on a Chinook helicopter and, and man a gun so I'm a door gunner on a Chinook helicopter so I'm in a weird position where I'm an 11 Bravo man 11 Bravo uh, uh, infantry soldier, but I'm also on a Chinook aviation team, and we operate as a as a five soldier crew, uh, two pilots, and then three uh, air crew members in the back. And uh, tell us what the duties of the three air crew members uh, would be then. Yeah, so uh, we each have our sectors, and you were either left gun, right gun, or you work in the ramp. And the Chinook helicopter, it's a really big helicopter with with two big rotor systems on the top. And normally, you know, when you're in country in a combat zone, you know, each door gunner, each crew chief is looking out their sector of fire. Uh, not only are you scanning for other aircraft or objects to make sure you don't run into them because the aircraft is such a large aircraft. It's some 30-some feet long, and then plus the actual rotor blades that ends up being about 100, 100 feet long. 
Um, so you want to make sure you're not running into anything. But then also, of course, any kind of uh, uh, ground-to-air um, enemies or, or air-to-air enemies. So you're constantly uh, working with uh, the, sh- the pilots up front. And the Chinooks are unique in that we all work together. The two Chinook pilots are, are flying the aircraft and getting us started at our next point, our next destination. But then the air crew members in the back are also helping uh, the pilots get there. So not only security... But, uh, you know, making sure we don't run into anything. And then when we're actually doing uh, our missions, our missions can vary. We can be deliberate missions where you're bringing ground troops in to do a deliberate operation. Or uh, normally we're doing a lot of cargo transportation troop movement. So we'd pick up troops in Kuwait and transfer them to Baghdad, Iraq, and then take them from Baghdad, Iraq to somewhere in Syria um, all the way to, to Saudi Arabia. I mean, we would transport troops all across the area of operation it just depends on their mission, and then also cargo. We're constantly transporting equipment, especially in the Chinook helicopter. It's so powerful. You can sling load another aircraft underneath you. You, you give two long ropes, basically, and you can carry an aircraft across the entire desert. Not uh, great on gas mileage, but no, you can pull it off. You uh, sure can, yeah. So, so did you uh, work uh, primarily with the same five-man crew? Yeah, normally we were the same crew. And, of course, things change, but it was normally the same five people, some you fly with more, some you fly with less. We had uh, over there, my company, uh, it's comprised of about 60 sol- soldiers. Half of them were up in northern Iraq, and the other half were in uh, Beering, Camp Beering area in Kuwait. And then we'd operate out of western Iraq and the Al-Andar province out of Al-Assad Air Base. So we were split up throughout the region to kind of conquer you know, the entire, it's such a large area that we're covering. Again, we'd be in Saudi Arabia to Syria to Baghdad to Jordan to Kuwait, I mean, all over the place. So um, we had 12 Chinooks total. Six were in northern region, six were in the southern region, and uh, we'd, we'd fly all over the place. Some weeks we flew six, seven days a week. Some we'd only fly twice a week. It just really depends on what was going on at the time and then also the threat level. And uh, give us the time frame, uh, Rob Donovic, you've just come back. Um, give us a time frame that you were over there doing this. Yep, so through the Army National Guard, we left Michigan uh, in July, uh, July 4th, actually, most most American day possible. And we'd actually go and train at another location for, for a month or so, um, do a lot of uh, medical stuff, paperwork stuff, all the preparation stuff you do before you leave the country. Uh, I got over to the Middle East uh, shortly after that, and then I just got back May 19th, May 20th. And uh, this is nobody will ever forget this year because it was a year of COVID. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit how strange that was as you moved uh, around the country here in the United States, but then went overseas uh, with this pandemic hanging over everybody's head. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the soldiers I work with, uh, most of them had four or five deployments, uh, specifically uh, someone I look up to a lot, uh, CW5 Mark Tyler. I think this is his fifth deployment maybe in the last since 2002. Um, Denny Gervin, uh, Sergeant First Class Denny Gervin. Uh, this is number six or seven, I believe. So these guys have a lot of experience, whereas this is my first deployment overseas. And they say this deployment was like nothing else because of COVID. I mean, the restrictions, um, the fact that we couldn't move anywhere, we couldn't go anywhere uh, before getting to country and after getting to country, they were so strict about what we could do because they were worried. Um On top of that, when you're overseas, we were transporting troops. A lot of times they would be wearing masks because they were worried about, you know, um, COVID spreading across the different countries. In the aviation unit, specifically the Chinook unit, we were constantly moving so so often that we got lucky that the army, the big army, couldn't really get their teeth into us with COVID because we were constantly moving so they could never keep track of us. Where a lot of the ground soldiers, 
they were constantly having to go through COVID screening and tests and this and that. Um, so we got lucky in that. We were in our own compound. We were kind of separated. But I will say COVID uh, had a big impact on a lot of missions. There was a lot of missions that got canceled. Um, a lot of friends I know on the ground side, they were doing patrol combat operations on the ground. A lot of their stuff was actually canceled because uh, DOD and, and the CENTCOM area didn't want COVID to be spreading because it was such an unknown territory for everybody. So it did even affect the military. You would have been uh, still overseas at the time that uh, vaccines became available here in the United States. Uh, tell us a little bit about the experience of vaccination uh, while you were overseas. Yeah, vaccination, if the soldiers wanted it, the soldiers could get it. Now, it doesn't mean it was available all the time. I mean, there was, you know, they'd offer the vaccine and soldiers would volunteer for it immediately. And some said, hey, I'm, I'm not really sure yet. Um, but it was available. It was a soldier's discretion if they if they want the vaccine. We've actually, uh, multiple times, we flew COVID vaccines or equipment to different bases. Uh, we worked with the Charlie Med uh, helicopters, which are basically the ambulance of the sky. And uh, COVID really affected them because they were transporting COVID-positive patients from, from facility to facility or base to base. So we'd be in you know Syria, which is very desolate. There's nothing out there. So they don't have the medical... Uh, supplies that they need or equipment to be taken care of so we'd have to transport to another base um, within the country so that they can get that medical attention so whether it be vaccines or just COVID patients we felt that. As you uh, talk about how much air time you have I know pilots keep uh, their logs of air hours do do the door gunners? Yeah so I've logged about 253 hours Um, so put that comparison to prior deployments a lot of uh, our air crew members got 400 hours in a deployment, and and my total time in a Chinook is 253 hours, uh, whereas in a lot of these guys have more that. For Mr. T, for instance, ex- ex- example, uh, has, I don't know, maybe 5,000 hours? Like, just crazy. Yeah, and yeah, I'm probably, yeah. probably not doing him justice. He's probably got more than that. <laughs> <laughs> He'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a uh, remarkable opportunity to get up and get a bird's eye view, isn't it? And I've seen some of the photos that you've posted, and we're going to talk a minute about social media and how this deployment's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But talk about that as an infantryman to get the opportunity to be a door gunner on a Chinook, and all of a sudden, hey, I'm up in the sky. My deployment experience is unlike the majority of soldiers. I mean, being in an aviation flight crew, you really have the best of both worlds. Not only do you get to fly in an amazing aircraft and get to do amazing things, but you see parts of the country that the majority of soldiers will never see. Service members will spend nine months overseas, a year overseas, and only see the same four walls in their in their office or the same uh, patrol area of operation. Whereas in me, I mean, I'd be in three countries in, in one day. So it was long hours. We'd have long flight days. Sometimes you'd fly eight hours in a day. Sometimes you fly two hours in a day. But with that being said, I was able to experience so much of the region. And, and here I'm seeing Lake Tartar in northern Iraq where it was all man-made in the 60s or 70s, I believe, and it's just this crystal blue in a country with so much chaos and so much going on. This beautiful, clear, calm lake in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, what the heck? Like, how do you, you think of Iraq and you're in Baghdad where it's crazy and all this stuff's going on, or you're in Kuwait where there's a million people moving around at one time and it's just so hectic. And then here you are in the middle of the Saudi Arabian desert where there's just this sand that flows for, for hundreds of miles 
and then you see a camel in the middle of nowhere, and you're like, how the heck did that camel get there? So Does he know where he is and where he's going? <laughs> those things can transport for days. They know exactly where they're going. Yeah, yeah I think you were in, if I clip this right from one of our notes, uh, Iraq, Kuwait, Jordan, Syria, and Saudi Arabia. Yes, yes. So it, going back to this comment of, on any given day, I might be in two or three different countries. Mm-hmm. You, you actually touched uh, one way or another five of them during this uh, yep. almost year year deployment, and you naturally this is a this is universal for all veterans. We're away during the holidays. Yeah. Uh, in your instance, it certainly would have been uh, the football season, which yeah. may or may not be a holiday. But <laughs> Thanksgiving <laughs> this year, uh, nobody missed much. But Thanksgiving, no. Christmas, Easter. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the the experience of today's uh, military member through those holidays. Yeah, I, I will always say I had it easy. Again, being an aviation company and flight crew, you get to see so many different things. And we were transporting gifts for, for different soldiers so that they can get their gifts from their families and their loved ones. And that was really awesome to, to be a, a part of that. And then you get really close to the soldiers you're with, especially in a flight company when you're spending so much time with these certain, you know, handful of people. You're living in a tent, you're using a porter potty, you're sleeping together, you're flying the same aircraft. I mean, everything, you're so close together, and then here comes Christmas. And, and that was that was big for me, spending Christmas in Iraq. Here I am in western Iraq, and Al-Assad Air Base, a really uh, uh, remote part of the country, not, not a lot over there, and I'm spending it with the closest people uh, that I've that I've ever made connections with, and, and let's face it, you hate them. You know, you're you're spending so much time together, you can't stand it. And then at the same time, here you are spending Christmas together, and you're singing Christmas holiday carols and whatnot. And you're just laughing and joking, having the best time. Um, Thanksgiving, here we all sit in a table together at Thanksgiving, and there's so many. You 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 miss your family, your immediate family, because you're gone from them. But you picked up another family uh, in the same way. And I think that's something that uh, if you haven't been through that kind of experience, whether it's, uh, as you say, you know, as a soldier, as an air aviator, as somebody on a ship, that you really, that becomes the family. It does, yeah. And substitutes during those uh, holidays, which would otherwise be pretty, maybe well be pretty depressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's really different, though, today is social media yeah. and the ability to be on deployment but but still be connected. How did you find the the connection that you were able to keep uh, between the deployment and and the folks back here in Livonia, Michigan, uh, because of the social media aspect. Yeah, well, you look at situations like uh, Sergeant Brian Shipman, uh, one of our flight engineers, uh, been in the military for many years, was in Afghanistan, and now this deployment, his uh, he had his firstborn while he was gone, and uh, he tried to get home, but it just couldn't happen. So you know, here his wife has their firstborn. And Brian's over here in the Middle East with us. And he was able to see pictures of his child. I remember uh, we were in Kuwait and I we came down to our cruise shack, a little locker room. little It's a little trailer, basically, we have. And we sat around until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. He was sleeping on the couch waiting for his child to be born. And just waiting, waiting, waiting. Because he knew at any point he was going to get that, that, uh, that FaceTime call. And the fact that he was able to share with that and be there for it. Even though it was virtual, even though it was through a phone, of course he wanted to be there in person. But he was able to see that for himself. What an amazing thing technology has been able to give us is that experience that you could be thousands of miles away and basically still be in the same room. Specifically for me, I was able to post pictures on social media and kind of uh, help help provide a context behind what we're doing over there. I heard I hear that so often now that I'm back is people say, oh, I love seeing your pictures. It, I felt like I was there with you. I never really knew what soldiers do over there. And here you are providing like, you know, a firsthand account of what's going on. 
So to be able to inspire people about that, that was awesome to, to play that role. Well, and I do think because so few people serve nowadays that they're just really disconnected in what you do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you do is, you know, nation building's a lousy term, but a lot of it's humanitarian, a lot of it's medical, a lot of it's just, mm-hmm. um, you know, making sure that the daily grind goes on without any conflict. Yeah. And so being able to communicate that, uh, is a whole lot different than what they might see on a TV movie where yeah. every minute somebody's blowing stuff up and yep. shooting things up and killing folks, and that's just not uh, yeah, not reality. Point. People's perception is always just combat, combat, combat. And, of course, you know, hey, you're in the Middle East. It's very dangerous. You're in a combat zone, and at any moment something can happen, and so many soldiers have, have died uh, in this war, and, and, and you think of them and, and you send, you know, your regards to their family and how sad it is that they have to deal with this. But at the same time, there's a lot of great things that we did. I mean, I'll always remember flying over Syrian villages and seeing the Syrians waving little American flags and the kids on the top of their rooftops waving at us um, because they loved that America was there to help them. Uh, so many stories of soldiers in the past that I served with that talked about, you know, they were flying ballots in Iraq to help them have one of their first democratic uh, elections held. And they were flying ballots to make sure that they get to the locations they needed to get to and soldiers guarding voting booths so that they could have the right to, to vote and not be intimidated. So while people can have different agreements about being overseas and why we're there, et cetera, at the same time, you're able to help a lot of people. Well, as you mentioned, it, it, it can be, in, it's a dangerous area, but flying in particular is a dangerous uh, activity. Um, yeah. and, and unfortunately, there's always some loss of life whether it be training accidents or regular missions and and while you were over there you experienced some of that yeah and i was super happy that everyone in my unit came home went back to their families um and again we all rely on one another to be there for each other in any times of need um and then you also help with other soldiers that are going through things and i will say nowadays there's so many organizations that help with veterans when they get home from from a combat zone uh, different resources like what you and your family do and then so many businesses and, and then so many actual uh, governmental agencies and the VA and whatnot. They really, there really is an emphasis to help our soldiers once they serve our country overseas. When they come back, it's now our job here as civilians to serve our veterans that are dealing with the issues they're dealing with. I did want to back up on the social media and the staying connected for one more thing, which is as a sitting city councilman, Uh, every two weeks or so you've got regular meetings and votes to do how did that work out Uh, first of all i will say that my colleagues on council and the leaders on the leadership staff in the city were just great to deal with they were super understanding i was seven eight hours ahead a different time zone so a lot of times my questions may be you know middle of the night and then that might not be the most convenient time but they went out of their way to make sure that they could you know be available to me in addition, my military leadership was just great. I mean, they were so active and helpful. They said, whatever you need to do to continue to serve on council, you, you can do it. Now, granted, um, you know, you're still here and you still need to do your job and we still have an operation and a mission to complete, but we're here to help. So my council meetings typically were at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, but because I had Wi-Fi uh, in my little area and, and I had the access to the internet, I was able to, you know, make all my council meetings and the public hearings and the study sessions so I was able to still be an active member on, on council. And then also I was able to, I still had tons of calls. It was funny, a lot, not a lot of people knew I left. So I was still getting emails and texts, hey, my trash wasn't picked up, or hey, I'm pissed off about this, you know, whether positive or negative. And, and I'd be like, well, hey, you know, I'll help out. And I'd forward their concern somewhere else. And they'd say, hey, I'd love to meet with you next week and, and say hi and thank you. Well, you know what, let's get a rain check for a couple months because I'm not there yet. So. 
Yeah. Well, that's pretty seamless if they don't know you're gone. That's no, uh, yeah. that's that's pretty nice. Yeah. So one of the things I guess I'd, I'd like to close with is to get from you sort of your view on whether whether it's uh, first-generation immigrants uh, joining the military to serve or just a lot of young people today don't know anybody and they don't, you know, maybe they think there's some good to doing that for them personally, but they don't, you know, they haven't heard the sales pitch, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you're five years into the six-year contract. Mm. Uh, um, I'm surprised they haven't made you sign up before they brought you back to <laughs> the country. They do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but um, give us a little bit of your philosophy on what you'd tell young folks about uh, this opportunity to serve. Yeah, the honor I feel and the people I work with is that is really what makes it great. And, and you get to give back to your community. And the thing is, you don't have to work in a Chinook. You don't have to be an infantryman. You can, there's so many uh, MOS's roles, jobs in the military, whether you want to work as an attorney, a litigator, whether you want to work in a, a, a career field like um, working with your hands, uh, electricians, plumbers, the list list goes on that the military offers people, but it also offers a pathway to get your education taken care of. It offers a pathway to be be a part of something much bigger than any one person, to be a part of this this organization that that the whole goal is to protect our country. You don't have to your point about movies. You're not. You don't have to be in a shoot 'em up, bang bang position. You can be in a in a position that really helps people still, but just is differently. Uh, so I think we have to get past this idea that you know the military is only getting yelled at and it's miserable. And of course, there's a lot of that. It's not fun sleeping outside all the time. It's not fun using a porta potty. But there's also a lot of great benefits to being in the military. Uh, you just have to do a little bit of reading. Have you uh, scrubbed all the sand out of all the crevices <laughs> oh, uh, at man, this point? I still find sand in my clothes. I was actually, I'm still unpacking because you're gone for a year. You, you accumulate some stuff. And I have these big tough boxes and they're just, they're just full of my stuff. And sand gets over everything. Sand, dust, you name it. It's everywhere. It covers every inch of everything you have. So I still got, I find sand in my, in my bedroom. I'm laughing. I'm like, where is this coming from? It's from that dang box. You'll be, uh, you'll be shaking that out oh, for a while. Yeah, and yeah. we want to thank uh, Rob Donovic of the Michigan Army National Guard, a Chinook gunner who just came back from deployment for spending a little time with Veterans Radio today and giving us a kind of a view of what it's like to be deployed mm -hmm. in 2020, 2021. Rob, uh, thanks for your service. Continue on with it. And uh, I know that your family is particularly proud of what you've done. Yeah, I appreciate what you've done for us. And uh, I was really excited for this opportunity. It's, it's, it's the civilian community like you and so many others that motivate soldiers to, to stay in the military, to serve, because there is really a great partnership between the civilian uh, every day back home and then the soldiers that are doing doing their job. So to be a part of this organization, uh, you know, be a part of your radio, it's awesome. I appreciate it, and thank you for what you do. You got it, Rob. Thanks. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fossone. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or LegalHelpForVeterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to VeteransRadio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. 
They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. <laughs>